the, transform, the transforming power of thankfulness. You know, it's strange. I've traveled uh, a lot of places in the world, a lot of very, very, very poor places. And it's a strange dynamic. The first time you experience it, it kind of throws you off. That the poorer the people are that I've met, the happier they are. It's really interesting that America is the richest country in the world and we have more people on antidepressants than any other country in the world. The dynamic, what I've found through researching this for many, many years is that the more that we have, the greater the tendency is for us to be ungrateful because especially with the uh, advertising industry's philosophy, which is to increase our sense of dissatisfaction through the commercials uh, so that we always want the new thing. And so that's the way that they keep the industry uh, moving forward is to, is to sell us dissatisfaction until we buy their newest product and the greatest product and the shiniest project product. And so we keep needing more and more and more. And what happens is when we get what we want, it's exciting at first. We're thankful. Yes. And then the, 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 the shine wears off on it in just a short while, and then we went the new thing because, of course, we are seeing the advertisements. And I go back to these villages in third world countries, and they don't even know computers or televisions or phones have even been invented. The simplicity, the sincerity, the love, the sacrifice, where you have somebody in a hut that literally don't, they don't know if they're going to make it the next day on their food, hand you something to eat and you know it could be their survival and they do it with 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 a smile on their face that gives them such joy to give it it really is it really it really takes you back but i don't say that to make us feel bad about ourselves we are just a product of our environment that is why being proactively thankful we have to exercise thankfulness on purpose uh, because we are so blessed, we have to, it's like uh, fasting. Other places in the world, they fast involuntarily because they don't have any food. We have so much food that we have to purposely decide that we are going to fast so that we can experience what it is to do without and dependent on God. That's another dynamic there. When I go to other countries that are not as blessed as we are, they have more miracles. And I've asked the Lord about this. And I believe what he revealed to me was their desperation. He is their only hope. So they are reaching up. We can reach out to the doctor. We can reach out to one another. We can reach out and get you know, uh, money from a friend, borrow money. If there's no resources for you to get out of your predicament and all you have is God, that desperation releases miracles from heaven. So we just are a product of our environment. And so teaching thankfulness to a people that are so provided for uh, can be a challenge on the teacher and a challenge on the receiver. And so, but I want to I show you today the power of thankfulness and how it literally transforms you so that you and I will choose to live thankful lives. And that word choice is big. Look at this, the opening passage. Got this from Rachel Larkin. One of our youth pastors, she brought this up to the team a couple weeks ago. The Proverbs 15, 15, the Passion Translation, everything seems to go wrong when you feel weak and depressed. Have you ever noticed that? 
When you walk around like lioness with that cloud around your head, for those of you who remember the peanuts, Charlie Brown, when you walk around with this negativity, it breeds more negativity. And all you, all you can see is the negative in things. Everything seems to go wrong, seems to go wrong when you feel weak and depressed. But when you choose, everybody say choose. choose. When you choose to be cheerful, every day will bring you more and more joy and fullness. Amen. It's really true. Amen. I've lived on both sides of this and so have you. So you know what I'm saying is true. You know that scripture is right. And this is not just positive thinking. And it's not just scripture, though that should be enough. This is backed up by many scientific studies which have proven the positive psychological and physiological effects choosing to be thankful has on you. So today I'm going to give you six ways thankfulness transforms you. Number one, it changes your perspective. And perspective is your life. Viktor Frankl was in a... Uh, concentration camp world war ii and of course they stripped him of everything including his clothes and they have him in a um well whatever they had a bunker for them to be in a, a well yeah but the places that, that they had the places the things they had to live in are almost indescribable I won't, I won't describe, I won't go there. You just know how horrible that was. You've, you've read it, you've seen it, you've seen the documentaries. One thing he came to realize, though, was they cannot take my thoughts from me. They cannot climb inside my mind and tell me what to think. And he became a wonderful philosopher when he came out of the concentration camp and has fed the world with deep truths about the ability to live life successfully based on your thought life and the main thing he came out with was your perception is your reality look at look at our political environment look what's happening right now there are basically two camps looking at the exact same thing and having two completely different conclusions your perception is your reality how can two Groups of people have two completely different stories on the exact same event. It's perception. It's what you choose to look at, what you choose to ignore, what you choose to emphasize. Right? 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 right. Oh, come on. If you don't believe that, then you need more help than I thought. Changes your perception. Negativity turns the lights out in your life so that you cannot see the blessings around you. It's like standing in a room filled with treasure, but the lights are out and you can actually think you're poor. Somebody flips on the lights and all of a sudden, I am standing in the midst of treasure. Now this happened to me about 10 years ago. I became incredibly negative. I I was disappointed because there were some things in my life that I wanted to see happen that were not happening. And I got so negative that my wife one day just flat out rebuked me. She said, either make a change or you change because we're not living like this anymore. And I went, ha, 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 ha. No, I was just kidding. She said, no, you're not. And I'm done. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, every church wants a happy pastor. Nobody wants a, right? And a family, by the way. And a spouse. And so I decided to go on a two-day retreat. The first day, I avoided it, ate pizza, watched football. 
And then the second day came and I realized the third day I would meet my wife again. So I thought I better get down to business. And so I got into a big fat leather chair and I got a blank pad, which is the way I, I walk with God. I get a blank pad and a pencil. And I said to him, say whatever you want to say to me and I'll do whatever you say. Because making a change gave me as much anxiety as trying to change myself because both are insurmountable. How do you change yourself and how do you change your life? And so I got quiet and immediately the Lord said a phrase to me that has changed me forever. I'm not certainly not Jesus, but I'm a lot less like the devil than I was 10 years ago. (laughs) He said, let's begin with thankfulness and go from there. It's like that phrase flipped a switch on the inside of me and the lights went on and I started realizing how much of God's blessings I have all over my life. I could not believe I'd gotten so negative, but it was because I was focusing on the things I didn't have rather than the things I did have. Boom, by the way, drop the mic moment. When you focus on what you don't have rather than what you do have, you lose your thankfulness. And that's what commercials do. That's what they're for, primarily, to tell you what you don't have. Could you imagine an advertiser coming on and saying, hey, 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 don't worry about what we're selling. Just be happy with what you have. (laughs) It's called contentment. The Bible says contentment with godliness is great gain. It's just the opposite. If you choose to be thankful for every little blessing in your life, thankfulness turns on a flashlight that you see everything around you. Look at first... Thessalonians 5.18 says, be thankful in all circumstances. That's a serious key. I'll tell you one of the reasons why. The Bible says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now, God's gates are the entrance into his kingdom, which is more than enough, to say the least. God can meet every need and fulfill every God-given dream. He is not broke. He doesn't have debt. He is not anxious. I mean, he is, he's God. He's full of provision. He loves the gift. But the way you enter into God's provision is through thankfulness. In fact, grumbling and complaining, the Bible calls a sin. And it shuts God's provision off in your life. Did you know that? It's a spiritual truth. You can see it in the Old Testament. They were grumbling in the desert, and God sent snakes, and they got bit. So you don't, you don't want snakes biting you, Right? <laughs> It closes the provisions of heaven and it opens, thankfulness opens God's provision in your life. It's, a, it's an amazing truth. Be thankful in all circumstances because you need God's provision in circumstances. And thanksgiving is what opens that gate. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So how, can, how can you choose to be thankful? Well, one, you can lose everything. Which many times is what has to happen to some people uh, is maybe it's a marriage and you lose your, you're, you're losing your spouse. You get kicked out. I've seen this for years. Guys many times just have to lose what they have to appreciate what they had. It's just part of it. You, you, you don't like your job and you complain about it. Then you get laid off. You lose your job. And you're like, you know what? Having a job I wasn't completely happy with is better than not having a job at all. And many times when you lose it, you lose your health. And you didn't realize how precious it was till you lost it. Many times, 
you, your thankfulness increases for the things you have when you lose what you have. That's not, a, that's not a good way to get into it. Another way is to go to a third world, which is what I showed you. Like one of my children, Bella, said, you've shown us pictures, you've shown us videos, you've told us about it. But until I had to go there and I had to, in a hut, I had to go to the bathroom and I had to go to that hole that's on the side of the house that has feces all around it. And I have to tiptoe over and I have to go to the bathroom in that hole. I didn't get it until I had to personally experience it. I'm serious. When I've come back from the third world, I thank God for our toilet. I actually have said that multiple times. Thank you for toilets, God. Thank you for indoor plumbing. Thank you for the water I can just turn on. You can go to places in the world where they do not have what we have, and your thankfulness skyrockets when you come home. Or you can practice looking for the positive in any given situation. Some choose to remain negative and complaining because it garners sympathy. And we like that. We like people to feel sorry for us. And self-pity. It's easier to complain than to purposely look for the positive. That's an exercise. It takes, it takes mental muscle to look for positives in situations. But thirdly, it abdicates responsibility. See, if I can complain about a situation, then I'm not responsible to change the situation. But the problem is it only gets worse. The more you complain and grumble, the worse it gets and it just mounts up until you're buried under it. Better thing is to simply be thankful. I asked Hope how eight, Romans 8.28 works in her life. It was so great having Hope in church today. She worked really hard to get here. She, uh, boy, talk about a fighter. It's just, she just got up this morning and said, I think I'm going to try to go to church today. And, Love seeing my wife here this morning. What a fighter. I said, how can, how's 828, Romans 828, how God works all things together for good for those who love him and according, called, into, called according to his purpose. I said, how does that work for someone that's going through a trial like yours? And she said, you have to look for it. It's there. You have to look for it. Last time she went through this cancer journey, the Lord gave her 15 things, and she had, we have a little, little plaque on a wall, a little uh, frame on the wall, and it's 15 things I've learned. I pulled two of them today. This is from her last journey. Things I've learned. One, accept that often life isn't fair, and then get over it. My kids hear that all the time. She'll say, life's not fair. Life's not fair. Get over it. Isn't that one of her favorite phrases, Lily? Get over it. <laughs> it's annoying, isn't it? Because you can't complain. You can't whine. I hate it. Here's another phrase of hers. Self-pity prevents you from taking personal responsibility. Keeps you stuck in the problem and annoys everyone around you. So the first thing Thanksgiving does is it changes your perspective. Secondly, it changes the molecular structure of your brain. I'm going to give you some scientific research information here. I'm going to pop through it pretty quickly. Um, And then we're going to do an exercise. But look at what science has found regarding choosing to be thankful. According to UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center... Regularly expressing gratitude 
literally changes the molecular structure of the brain, keeps the gray matter functioning, gray matter and white matter in the brain. The gray matter is what is deep thinking, problem solving, imagination. It's, a, it's, it's what enabled your attention span to be long. White matter is the quick information you need for a second you throw it away. What they have found for those who are on their cell phones way too much is it has increased the white matter 20% and decreased the gray matter 20%. Teenagers that are addicted to their phones, the research has shown, their, their white matter has increased 20%, which is why their attention span is so short. It's not that they don't want to pay attention only. They can't because their, their brains have been used to, it has to be this fast. That's why they get impatient so quickly when you're trying to have a conversation. The gray matter has decreased 20%, which is the problem solving and the deep thinking part of the brain. Thankfulness actually increases the gray matter in your brain. And it makes a healthier and happier life. In 2008, scientists first used fMRI. MRI does imaging of organs. fMRI images the blood flow to the brain. They found that using the fMRI... That participants experiencing different emotions found that gratitude causes synchronized activation in multiple brain regions and lights up parts of the brain's reward pathways. And it affects the hypothalamus, which controls an array of essential bodily functions like sleeping and eating and drinking. It also has a major influence on your metabolism and your stress levels. Isn't that amazing? In short, they say, just like Prozac, thankfulness boosts your neurotransmitter serotonin and activates the brainstem to produce dopamine. As you start choosing to be thankful, it it increases your dopamine, dopamine production levels, which makes you feel better and feel good and makes you healthier and it boosts your immune system. Isn't that incredible? Where being negative and critical and complaining actually does just the opposite. The opening scripture, when you feel depressed and sad, like everything goes wrong, but when you choose to be cheerful, it continually adds more and more cheer to your day. It said something like that. That was pretty close. <laughs> What's really interesting is Dr. Alex Korb in his book, Upward Spiral, said, the, listen, the act, just the act of seeking the items to be grateful for has more benefit than the actual item you're thankful for. This is a quote from him. He's a neuroscientist in UCLA. Trying to think of things you are grateful for forces you to focus on the positive aspects of your life. This simple act increases serotonin production in the anterior cingulate cortex. I don't even know what that means, but I think it's good. (laughs) Basically, just thinking about how you could be grateful sparks brain activity critical to sleep, mood regulation, and metabolism. The next time something bad happens in your life, think about the good that's coming out of that bad situation. And just by trying to find something, it increases the serotonin and producing dopamine in your brain. Just the act. Is that incredible? Your brain, when it feels that, it it literally says, oh, do that again. And... It says that when you find something to be grateful for, it actually causes you to be able to see more things that you should be grateful for. This is 
Hebb's law, which literally says this, neurons that fire together, wire together. The third thing it does is it improves your psychological health. That was your physical health. This is your psychological health. Gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions. Gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions. Ranging from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. Robert A. Edmonds, a PhD, a leading gratitude researcher, has conducted multiple studies on the link between gratitude and well-being. His research confirms that gratitude effectively increases your happiness and decreases your depression. Number three, or number four, uh, gratefulness, thankfulness, choosing to be thankful improves your self-esteem. A 2014 study published in the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology found that gratitude increases athletes' self-esteem, which is critical to their success. Other studies have shown that gratitude reduces social comparison. Think about it. Gratitude reduces social comparisons. Rather than becoming resentful toward people who have money, more money, or better jobs, which is a major factor in reducing self-esteem, grateful people are able to appreciate other people's accomplishments. Gratefulness, they have found through research, helps you sleep better. How many of you need more sleep? How many of you need better sleep? How many need to sleep and not wake up two or three times in the middle of the night? They are saying the research has shown that if you will spend 15 minutes before you go to sleep writing down things you're thankful for, you will sleep better and longer because of what it does in your psyche and in your brain chemistry. And then the last thing is, it increases your mental strength. Gratefulness increases your mental strength. Research has shown that gratitude not only reduces stress, but it may also play a major role in overcoming trauma. In 2006, a study published in Behavior Research and Therapy found that Vietnam War veterans, Al, I'm talking to you right now, pay attention, quit grumbling, and listen. Vietnam War veterans with higher levels of gratitude experienced lower rates of post-traumatic stress disorder. Give me three things you're thankful for right now, Al. Shout them out. You came home. Yes, sir. Amen. Two? Still alive. You're still alive. Still married. And you're still... And she didn't leave you. That's all you needed to say. I could have just said, give us one thing you're thankful for. Lorraine has not left me. That's awesome. A 2003 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that gratitude was a major contributor to the resilience following the terrorist attacks on 9-11. Recognizing all that you have to be thankful for during the worst times of your life fosters resilience i can't say i know hope doesn't like me making her the center of attention but i'm telling you she is the the embodiment of everything that i'm teaching today she told me it was survival she said in the middle of her second cancer battle when she would rather have just gone to heaven she realized in that moment she had to make a choice she had to make a choice that's i was saying many times we have to lose what we have before we come to this place. 
she realized if I don't choose to be positive and look for the positive, it's going to kill me. She fought cancer with positive mental attitude. And the key transition point was deciding to look at what she had to be thankful for in her life. And it changed me too. That's, that's how when we are changed, we make a change. And those around us, which changes the world. That's how it works. I like one of her favorite phrases is, be the change you're looking for. I was out to lunch with a brother this week from our church who got laid off from his job. And he said, you know, getting laid off was scary. Has to provide for his wife and his kids and and he said, but what it did was it caused me to force me to spend more time at home because I didn't have a job. And he said, that experience reprioritized my life. He said, now I don't care if I have a lucrative career in my area of expertise. If I can just have a job that pays my bills so I can spend more time with my wife and my kids before they grow up, move out of the house, I'm a happy man. A negative turned into a positive. You realize he was working too much and missing the treasure in his life. Proverbs 17, 22, the Bible says this. Science is just, you know, science always catches up to the word of God. A merry heart does good like medicine. Written thousands of years ago. But a broken spirit dries the bones. So now, rather than you just listen to me pontificate anymore, we are actually going to do this. As annoying as you might find that, we are going to do this right now. In your bulletin, there is a half sheet that says 10 things I'm thankful for. If you only have one bulletin per couple, then you each can do five. And it'd be really smart to start with being thankful for your spouse. Just make that number one and then move on from there. If you don't have a bulletin or you don't have a pen to write with, do it on your phone. Get your phone out. Everybody's got to do this unless you want to be the most depressed person at the end of this exercise because you didn't do it. Everybody else's stress levels are going to go down. Their serotonin develop, uh, production is going to go up. The dopamine is going to go up. Everybody's going to feel like they just wanted the best party in their life. And you're going to be sitting there grumpy and complaining and not changed at all. So, 10 things you're thankful for. And just do it quickly. Okay, so those who are listening online, those watching online, do it. Grab your phone, get a piece of paper, begin writing 10 things that you are thankful for. They don't have to be big. They can just be things. For those listening online, and we got this big pause right now, I'll just do the game show keep going come on 10 things telling you you get that you get that engine going you could have 50 things Okay. 
Here we go. Somebody, give us one thing off your list and shout it out. Spouse. What? Spouse. Huh? Spouse. Spouse. I thought I, I couldn't. I thought mouse, foul. I didn't understand what you said. Spouse. She's talking about you, Michael. Mouse. Feel good about yourself right now. Somebody else, what are you thankful for? House. House. Okay, this is the game we're playing right now. Spouse. House. Spouse. Huh? Our church. You took my next point. You. Jesus. Me? Yes, Jesus. Kobe and Chris. Thank you, Chris. Jesus. Jesus. You are so much more spiritual than the rest of us here. Jesus, of course. Somebody else. Family. It's awesome, but huh? Health. Job. You have a job. Forgiveness. Yeah. Think about it. Living in San Diego. Living in San Diego, says the guy who just moved from Chicago. <laughs> That's great. Every day there's a new Facebook post of them at the beach. It's hilarious. <laughs> Somebody else, come on. What are you thankful for? Huh? Children. Children. Most of the time, yeah. Somebody else. Security. Huh? Security. Security. Nice. Freedom in our country. Freedom in our country. Heaven. Heaven. Access to the word. Access to the word of God. Good health care in America. Good health care in America, my wife says. Amen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Really? I'm not going to repeat what he said. It will. Okay. This exercise, I hope I've convinced you scripturally and scientifically that it is the key, one of the major keys to your transformation as a human being. You've got to choose. That self-pity and garnering pity from others and abdicating your responsibility to face bad situations is not your friend. Not the payoff that you want. It's not worth it. Choosing to live thankfully will make you a victor, a successful person, and a more pleasant person to be around. Okay, now... I'm going to give you three things that I'm thankful for, and then we're going to come to a close. I'm going to give you three. Three things I'm thankful for. And I want to start by reading a passage of Scripture. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes this passage from prison. He writes a book to the Philippian church, a church he started, and listen to this. The way this church got started, the Apostle Paul was obeying the great commandment. A great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So Paul, who used to be Saul, who was murdering Christians, gets saved through an encounter with Christ in Acts chapter 8. He becomes the leader of the Christian church. What an amazing testimony. Talk about testimonies. That's crazy. So now he's leading the church, and he's going out to preach the gospel. He tries to go into one city, and the Holy Spirit says, don't go to that city. He tries to go to another city, don't go to that city. 
So then that, that, that night, he has a dream to go to Macedonia. There's a guy in Macedonia in the dream saying, please come help us. So Paul wakes up from the dream. That's not a hard dream to interpret. So he goes to Macedonia, and when he goes there, he's just trying to find uh, somebody to preach the gospel to. And there's this demon-possessed woman who begins harassing them all day long. So Paul says, and the old King James says, not being, not being insignificantly annoyed, I think is what it says. He turns and casts the demon out of the woman. Well, the problem was she was a medium. She was a soothsayer. She was a fortune teller. She made help businessmen and businesswomen prosper by having insider information through a demon. And so it says that they saw that their profits were gone. He killed the golden goose. So they attacked him. He ends up getting thrown into prison. He's in the inner, he's in the, he's in the, uh, the, um, the hole, which you can only imagine what a, what, what a prison looked like back in those days. And it says now, oh, they beat him first. So here's a guy, here's a Christian, here's a man of God, just doing the will of God, obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit. He had a dream to go and he cast out a demon out of a woman, which should be a good thing. He ends up of no fault of his own, beaten, whipped, bleeding on his back, thrown into the inner cell in prison. And he, I mean, are you talking about the, the, the right to complain? To be whining and complaining. Oh God, how could you let this happen to me? This is so unfair. This is so unjust. I'm just trying to do God's will. And look what happened to me. Instead, he chose. Everybody say, he chose. He chose to begin worshiping at midnight. In his cell, in that dark hour of his life, one of the darkest moments of his life, in physical pain and injustice, he raises his hand, and him and Silas, his buddy, they start singing hymns at midnight to God. And in the middle of singing praise to God, God sent an earthquake, shook the prison, all the doors came open, all the prisoners' chains came off, which is a uh, great word right there. When you get set free, you bring freedom to everyone around you. When you get a move of God, other people around you benefit from the move of God. When you get a breakthrough, those around you can get a breakthrough. The jailer got saved, his whole family got saved, and that's how the Philippian church started. In your darkest hour, God will do the biggest things if you will choose to praise Him in the midst of your darkness. Otherwise, if you don't, it just gets darker and darker and darker. You get worse and worse, and everybody around you doesn't want to be around you. So while Paul's in prison, later in another prison in another city for preaching the gospel, he writes a letter back to the Philippian church about thankfulness and joy. The whole theme of the letter is joy. He says this, I thank my God in every remembrance of you. It's such a precious letter. Always offering every prayer of mine with joy and specific requests for all of you. Thanking God for your participation and partnership both your comforting fellowship and gracious contributions and advancing the good news regarding salvation 
from the first day you heard until now. I am convinced and confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, the time of his return. It is right for me to feel this way about you because you have me in your heart as I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the good news regarding salvation, all of you share in his matchless grace with me. For God is my witness how, long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, whose great love fills me. I read that passage to you and told you that story because of Paul's relationship with that church was so precious and so tender and so real and so full of love and gratitude. The giving and receiving that Paul and that church experienced was what motivated this letter. So I'm going to tell you now how this passage, there's three things in here that I am personally identifying with right now in my life. The first thing I'm thankful for is you. I love my church. I bought this t-shirt this week. Hope and I have been overwhelmed by the outpouring. What did Paul say in that passage? He said, uh, your participation, both your comforting fellowship and your gracious contributions. Hope and I have just been overwhelmed with your prayers, your financial gifts, your volunteerism at our home, helping with Hope's Garden, the meals you guys are bringing to us, taking our kids places and your help has been profound you know when i pray for you individually it is amazing i mean we're not a mega church but when i start praying for you individually it feels like one the depth and quality of people in this house don't tell anybody that used to go to this church but i think this is the best the church has ever been (laughs) i really mean it when I start praying for people, I pray for my leadership. I pray for Mark and Shelley. It's like, wow, man, they are such great people. And then I pray for Mark, or for, for Gary and Kathy. I'm like, gosh, those guys, their, their, their character and their depth is so great. I pray, and I pray for Toby, and I pray for Julie. It's like, those guys are so faithful. And I pray for Josh and Dara Lee. I'm like, my gosh, what gifts to the house. They are such good people, and they're little girls. And I pray for David and Jeanette Lotes. I'm like, Man, they're good people. You know, and Bob and Mary Jane. I mean, it doesn't get any better than Bob and Mary Jane, right? <laughs> My goodness gracious. You know, and then Ben, you know, and, and Aaron. I'm, uh, gosh, man, and Ben's up at my house working like a dog, and he's happier than anybody else in, at, at the house. And Eric, and the way that he serves. And, and I mean, I just, you know, just go on and on and on. If I didn't mention your name, don't leave the church. Here's, it's a, the point is, I could go on... Literally, when I start praying, there goes one. I just lost. I lost one of our. The next name I was going to say was Lewis Morris and his faithfulness to our financial board and his tithing. Okay. But as, now here's my point. As I begin to pray for you individually, my gratitude grows. It expands and multiplies. And the lights get turned on and I begin to see all the treasure around me. You can do this in your marriage and you must. 
When you first, before you get married, everybody can tell you what they see wrong in him and her, but you can't see it. The do- dopamine levels are too high. And then, and, then, and then you get married. You know, I see it when people first get, you know, are dating. I see them worshiping Jesus first like this. And then they, then they, then they look over like this and they're, they're worshiping, but they, they caught their, you know, they're, they're, somebody caught their eye. Oh. And then they're sitting closer to each other, right? And then they're holding hands. And then they get engaged. And they're not listening to the thing I preach because they're just so. You know. Then they go on their honeymoon. Then they come back and their arms are now not, they're not holding hands anymore. That's called the adjustment period. I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry. That's so negative. It's called the adjustment period, you know. And you got to make it through these, these stages. And then you're like, these guys over here, now they're starting to make out right here in church. Because you guys, you guys are at a whole different level now. You've made it through all those seasons, and now you're in seven years. That's the year. Yep, yep. Actually, the seven years become the four years. So you guys actually... Uh, jump the hurdle three years ago. But you do this in your marriage. Do it with your kids. Kids, do it with your parents. If you can focus on the negative, negative things about your parents, the things they don't do right, and it just becomes this negative thing. Or the parents to the kids. And constantly focusing on how they're screwing up. And, it, man, you can crush their spirit. you got to encourage them. we got to look at the positive in one another's lives. And the same with the church. Man, all of us are imperfect. We got to purposely choose to look at the positive in one another, and it breeds gratefulness and thankfulness. The second thing I'm thankful for is what God is doing in you and in us. In this passage, he said, I'm convinced and confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work in you, a good work. Everybody say, a good work. work. See, God's work in you from the day you gave your life to Christ is a good work, and it is work, by the way. God's working really hard on all of us. You're under construction, and God is working in you. The Bible says that for the righteous, your every day gets brighter and brighter. You're going from glory to glory. It may not look like it. When you feel like you're failing miserably, that's just the, that's just the negative part of you coming to the surface. And so everybody can see it, and you can see it. You can talk to God about it, and then God shaves that off so that you become more transparent gold that's the way they purify gold and silver they put it in the fire and all the infirmities come to the top they scrape it off and so the gold is more pure so when you feel like you're failing more than you ever did before it was already down inside of you it's just coming to the surface for you to be able to confess it to god and say god i need your help more than i ever thought i did and satan will say see you're not even nearly as far as you thought you were just turn back to him and say yeah but do you know where you're headed you're like backsliding all the way until you backslide into the fiery pit for eternity. I mean, don't even listen to him. When you think that you've gone two steps and you find out you only went one step or actually you think you went back a step, that's just part of the good work that God is doing in you. He's transforming you into the image of his very son himself. One day you are going to be just like Jesus. That's the process. And God will never give up on you. Ever give up on you. Until the day that Jesus returns. The trials that Hope and I are going through, Paul was going through persecution, we're going through affliction, is deepening our church. It's deepening our relationships. We are receiving a tremendous amount of support from you. 
And there are others that are suffering in our body, and they too are receiving an outpouring of love and provision. I love, I was having lunch with David Lotz this week. And David sat back and he said, if I ever go through a trial, I have zero doubt that my church family will be there for me. Wow. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? That you could say that with 100% confidence? We were talking about, I said, what do people do when they go through a trial in life and they're not part of a church family? You see, the Bible says, we'd like to quote a scripture that says, God will not allow you to go through a trial that you can't handle. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that God will not allow you to be tempted with sin beyond your ability to resist. That word trial and temptation can be the same. But in that passage, he's not talking about trials. He's talking about sinful temptations. And in context, you can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's saying God will never allow you to be tempted with sin beyond your ability to overcome it or resist it. But certainly trials happen in your life that are beyond your capability to endure. Galatians chapter 6 says... That the way we fulfill the law of Christ is to bear one another's burdens. That word burden means a boulder that's crushing you. Right now, the boulder that is on our life would literally crush us if it wasn't for you. So thank you. We love you, John. Amen. It feels good to be loved by your congregation. But you, at the same time, I've taught you this before, and I'll say it again, you need to learn how to receive. Just get over yourself. When you go through hard times, or you have any kind of a need, when you finally break down these doors and these walls of resistance, of receiving help from others, or even asking for help, you are going to find your life so blessed. Because people want to give. They want to be a blessing in your life. You can't always be the giver. You've got to be the receiver too. And that's what causes the provision of God to flow through the body of Christ. And we become the most remarkable people on the planet. The Bible says the world will know that you're Christian by the way you love one another. You can't stop letting people love you because you know, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Nope. You've got to stop that. Say, yes, yes, yes. And you'll have tremendous provision in your life. Philippians 2, 4 says this, the same letter. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And the last thing I'm thankful for in this passage, number one is you. Number two is what God is doing in you and in us as a body through this. And number three is what Paul says in this passage, that you are a sharer with me in God's matchless grace. God's grace in this trial has stunned me once again. I can't think... Boy, I can. There have been a couple times in my life, I've been walking with the Lord for almost 30 years. There are a couple times in my life when I have experienced God's grace at this level. And I can remember them clearly because it's so profound. God's grace is empowering. That's what that scripture said. God's empowering grace. I would wake up... uh, Besides, you know, when I look at my life right now, and you can probably, you have felt this way before in your life, I'm sure. Maybe some of you do right now. If you were to look at my life on paper, you would think that dude's fried. He's cooked. He's done. Parenting six kids, a wife going through cancer for the third time, pastor in a church, 
building, re- renovating a building of our front yard, which is a massive project. I would get up in the morning and I'd literally feel like I physically cannot get up. And I would just make myself sit up. Anybody? Come on, anybody? And I would sit on the edge of bed and I would look up and I'd say, God, I need your strength. And there's a word study on strength through the Bible that is from cover to cover. God gives strength. The Bible literally says it. God gives strength to his people. And I would get up, have my cup of coffee. I'd put on my work clothes and go outside and start working in the front yard, digging into dirt that is really concrete and and doing this garden while I'm pastoring people on the phone, going and having meetings, coming back and working. Having, you know, parenting my children, running all over. Miss Brenda getting got into a car accident, broke her sternum. So she's out, hopes out, it's me. And I would literally feel this physical strength and energy surging through me all day long. One day I said to Hope, it was about five o'clock, it was our anniversary, 24 years last Monday. And I said, amen. And I, she hasn't left me either, Al. And I said... All I ate today was a yogurt and a power bar at 9 a.m. And it's 5 p.m. And I outworked the day laborers that I hired. They were tired and wanted to go home. I'm like, we still got a couple hours of sunlight. Let's go. And they were done. I couldn't believe it. Then I'd go to bed and I would literally pass out. I'd wake up the next morning and I'd, same thing, Groundhog Day. I need your strength. I'd get up and I would have this energy in me that was tangible energy that has carried me god's matchless empowering grace is the same grace he has for you as well let's be a thankful people salvation alone salvation alone should make us the most grateful people on the planet. Be careful with the advertisers. Be careful with this culture we live in that says you got to have more, 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 the next new thing. Be careful with that. It's going to rob you of your contentment, of the blessings in your life. And for those of you, I'm going to close with this. For those of you who have not yet come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you cannot make it to heaven on your good works. You cannot buy your way into heaven. Look what this scripture says about God's grace. It's coming. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Here it comes. There it is. Let's read this out loud. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Let's all stand.